the biggest thing that this is going to do is allow professional baseball players to concentrate on being professional baseball players during their career. Welcome into another episode of Baseball America's From Phenom to the Farm. I'm your host, Kyle Banduco. Today, we have the first returning guest in From Phenom to the Farm history, former Brewers and Oklahoma State right-hander Jonathan Perrin. Jonathan joined me about two years ago to discuss his career going from Oklahoma State to the Brewer system to his post-playing career in finance. We talked a lot about the financial aspect of baseball, specifically the minor leagues. Well, Jonathan is a certified financial professional who works with many of the organizations, including More Than Baseball, that helped make the first minor league baseball collective bargaining agreement happen here recently. So we're here to talk about that. We're talking about the biggest wins of the CBA for minor leaguers, what it means for players current and future, going over some of the new benefits, why this is better than just a salary increase. The salary increase is great, but a lot of great benefits for minor leaguers here. How this is going to impact players when it comes to making that signing decision in the draft, high schoolers, college juniors and seniors and how this new reality changes that calculus and how it makes minor league baseball just more of a viable job. It was great to have Jonathan on, have his insight. He, he works with these organizations that have, have bargained for these labor improvements. He also works with players on their finances. So really great perspective there. We also talk a bit of opening day, kind of what are those first few weeks like for minor leaguers, especially what were they like in Jonathan's time when housing was not provided. So a, a little bit of that, Leo, mix and match. It's, it's pretty heavy on the seat. CBA, but we do get a little bit of the uh, the first weeks of baseball season things from Jonathan, but it was great to have him stop by. Always great picking his brain on, on the financial side of baseball. Uh, if you enjoy this episode, episodes are from Phenom of the Farm drop every other Tuesday. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast and go check out past interviews. They're all mostly evergreen, including Jonathan's from July of 2021. So if, if you enjoy hearing him talk about finance, we got a whole nother interview for that. So go check that one out. If you haven't yet, leave a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Also make sure to subscribe to BaseballAmerica.com and the BA Podcast feed for all amateur baseball and prospect news. We're now in minor league and MLB season. Check the hot sheet. MLB fantasy news, plus college baseball is in the thick of conference play. There is a lot of good stuff going on at Baseball America. And with that, let's talk to Jonathan Perrin. All right, returning to From Phenom to the Farm, the first repeat guest we have ever had on the show. We had him back, uh, I think, like a year and a half ago or something like that uh, to talk about his career as a former Brewers farmhand and Oklahoma State right-hander, and he is a certified financial planner, so perfect person to talk about for uh, for our subjects today. It is Jonathan Parent. Jonathan, welcome back to From Phenom to the Farm. Hey, appreciate it, Kyle. It's an honor to be the first repeat offender on on the podcast. <laughs> I, I mean... I couldn't after the the week we've had the the, la, the last few weeks for for minor league ball players. I couldn't think of something more, uh, someone more perfect to have on. You have stayed connected in the game. Not only do you have experience, you know, actually playing in the minor leagues, you have your you know, like I said, a certified financial planner. You have experience in the the financial aspects and what we've seen, you know, for decades, hardships of minor league baseball. And you also work with, you know, ha- have worked with the, you know, the minor league that what is now, I guess, the minor league players union and, and working, you know, being a voice and getting some of these changes made. So, I, I mean, I, I'll kick it broadly to start your your first reaction when you saw that that minor leaguers this year would be playing under a collective bargaining agreement. Just happiness, real. Just this has been a a huge project for so many people throughout the game of baseball for 
five, six, seven years now to, to get to this point. So it was really just a huge victory, a big week for the grinders. Uh, You know, the CBA got, got ratified contracts are going up anywhere from hundred to 350%, depending on the level. And in the same week, you also had the Senny versus office of the commissioner of baseball lawsuit, the class action lawsuit get approved by the judge and uh, 185 million total, about 120 million of that going out to players for back pay for unpaid spring training for the prior decade too. So just a lot of awesome developments uh, for the, just the, the lifestyle that is being a minor league professional baseball player. What, what to you were the biggest the biggest headlines coming out of the CBA that that you think will will be the biggest things that improve quality of life and just the quality of what this job is for minor league baseball players. And then something we also talked about is that like the if what I think holds true in every industry, if you invest in your employees, you're going to get a better product out of it. So what do you think makes life better for these minor leaguers, the big headlines there? And what do you think baseball will get out of this? I think you nailed it with the investment in the players and the number one headline has got to be the salaries. I mean, you're looking at triple a going from a minimum of 17,500 to over 35,000. Now double a players are going to make more than 30,000 high A's at 27 low A's at 26 and even rookie balls at just a click under 20,000 at 19,800 now. So again, 100 to 350% increase in salary right off the bat. One, those numbers are eye-popping from a percentage basis, but it should be eye-popping in the fact that, wow, those were really low before. Now they're just kind of like more normal, like where you can actually live off of it. So that's definitely the number one thing that pops off is is guys are actually going to be paid a semi-decent amount of money to be an elite level athlete now at the minor league level. Um, And then the auxiliary benefits as well, housing policy, which they had implemented last year. We've got a lot of feedback uh, through my work with More Than Baseball. We did a lot of surveys, talked to hundreds of players and their families, and they've really done a good job. I thought the MILB uh, PA did a really good job upgrading the housing policy as well. Uh, You know, minor league opening day this week, right? That was the hardest part about spring training was you would – not know which level you were going to break a lot of times until the last week of camp. And then now you jump and you had like four days to go find a house. Now that huge, massive stressor is getting taken off and guys are going to get paid a little bit more money. And also in my personal opinion, the biggest piece is guys will be getting paid uh, basically 10 and a half months out of the year. So you will start to see a $250 a week stipend in the off season as well. Um, to allow guys to to concentrate on their training. Yeah, we we talked about that a little bit in our um, when you first appeared on the pod, and it's been kind of a running theme of the show is for guys who are not high bonus high bonus level guys that that off season becomes a necessity of you're have you're working two jobs, you're you're trying to keep yourself afloat financially just with your livelihood, and then you're also having to train for this job that that is not paying you, and. When we look at that too, something that that kind of came to my mind that I thought about is that what what we've talked about too is that there are a lot of guys who finish finish playing baseball, top out in the minors, and then have to figure out what's what's next for them in life. And I I think with this with being paid 
pretty much throughout the year or at least being paid a living wage, being able to focus on training in the offseason, it also allows for them with most a lot of guys playing the minor leagues do not have a college degree, do not have any any additional training. This makes going to college or figuring out doing something while you're while you're playing going getting going to real estate school or getting a trade light or something like that. I think it this seems financially to make the off-road for the large percentage of these guys who will not make their life's living playing baseball a little easier. Is that does that seem like it squares up? I would agree with that statement for sure. I think the biggest thing that this is going to do is allow professional baseball players to concentrate on being professional baseball players during their career. You have a six week dead period from basically right before Thanksgiving to January 1st, where you're not getting paid through the holidays, but the other what 45, 46 weeks out of the year, you are getting paid in some point, $250 a week in the off season. It's not a ton probably not even really going to cover a lot of rents in most places, but guess what? It's better than nothing. And the fact that you're actually making a semi-decent amount of money without a housing expense during the season allows guys to have some flexibility to build up savings to help get them through to pay for training. So they maybe don't have, maybe they only have to work one job or no jobs instead of two during the off season. And going back to that kind of case you made of investing in the product and the player that's going to lead to better outcomes. And that's the thing that I've been really advocating for from a player development standpoint, is this going to lead to better player development outcomes, in my opinion, because guys are going to be able to concentrate on getting better at baseball, not just putting food on their table and a roof over their head while they're trying to just get to spring training. Yeah. And there are talented guys who have given up baseball because they can't financially keep it up. Um, and, and so the, this might, re, this might reduce the, the likelihood of that happening. But one thing that I would say, obviously the big, I guess the trade-off with this is we saw a reduction of the workforce, um, w- with this CBA, the, the, the total number of minor leaguers in an organization. Was there anything else besides that, that wasn't, that was deemed, I, I guess, from a, from a labor perspective a negative in the CBA? I'm sure there were things that weren't, didn't get done that maybe weren't, you know, that that you would have liked, but didn't happen. Was there anything, any other trade-offs given to, you know, to MLB or these organizations that could, could possibly have a negative outcome? Yeah. The number one thing that jumps right off is the reduction of the, the reserve roster from 180 to 165. So across the league, I mean, you're looking at, that's going to be another 450 jobs that are going to get cut. I mean, but when you are talking about raising salaries at the magnitude that they have, I would say that the net, the net overall payouts is going to go significantly up to players. Um, The amount of money that is being spent on players is going up, but that is by far and away the number one issue. You know, you did have uh, a CBA negotiate openly for a reduction in the total number of jobs. So I would say that is probably the big number one red flag. Um, Outside of that, I, I honestly talking with the people that have been close to the situation, I think this was a really solid deal overall for minor league players. Cause quite frankly, there wasn't a ton of leverage there. There was a lot of public opinion outcry, but I don't know necessarily from a leverage standpoint. Like I do think that the MLBPA, MILBPA did a very solid job getting everything that they got put into the CBA for the players. Uh, Cause it's not just salaries, it's uh, health benefits, uh, uniform retirement benefits. Now and before 
not every team offered a 401k. Now you're going to have a $2.5 million player pool allocated as a league contribution to minor league players. Uh, guys are going to have the ability to be on Cobra uh, prior to this. When you got released, you you lost health insurance that midnight. Like You were off health insurance as soon as you got cut. Now guys are going to be eligible for 100% Cobra benefit. 80% paid by the by the team for your dependents. So that's a huge improvement as well. Um, and then also medical care. You were guaranteed six months prior. Now it's going all the way out to 18 months. I, I know a handful of cases personally where guys, they get cleared from a surgery, Tommy John, ACL, whatever, back. And then immediately, as soon as, you know, the doctor basically signs the paper, you're going in to sign your release papers, you know, and guys kind of just get kicked to the curb. So there's a lot more protections being put in across the board. So while they did give up some overall jobs, I think the net is extremely positive across the board for, for minor league players. I want to talk through a few scenarios of types of players that this really kind of changes the outcome for um, and, and possibly just kind of talk about the, the scenario. So the, the first one I want to talk about is the high school sign who signs for a, a solid six figure bonus. I'm not talking about your seven figure first rounders every year. There are high schoolers who sign from anywhere between like 300 to $700,000 who decide that they're going to, they're going to take, you know, skip out on college ball, decide to to start their professional career right away. You know, for a lot of those guys, that bonus was the last money, the last real real money they ever made in professional baseball. Taxes get taken off right off the bat. And when you and I talked, you talked about with guys like that, you'd want to, you know, invest a lot of that and actually have something left over for when you're done playing baseball. But when the taxes get eaten and then suddenly you're pulling away from that money to, to survive, you have to, you've got seven years on your, you know, your first contract at that, at that time, a lot of guys end up with nothing, with not really anything left. They end up 25 years old, didn't make it to the big leagues, no college degree, no prior work experience, and really nothing left out of that bonus. So how does that, how does this potentially change the life of the guy who doesn't make it to the big leagues? It's going to change the calculus for sure. We're starting to have those conversations with agents where the high school four or 500,000 is cut that classic tweener case where you know, you really aren't, you're going to net out 275, 300. And can you live on that for seven years? Cause you know, 300 divided by seven is like 42 and a half. I like guess that's not much to live off of realistically. Now you've got the option of being able to make a semi-decent amount of money being paid throughout the year. And a lot of cases, especially with these younger players coming out of high school, they'll go to these mini camps in the off season, two, three different times, and they weren't getting paid. Now they're getting spring training pay $625 a week uh, for every week that they're, that they're in the camp in an off season. So it's going to change that calculus. I think it's going to probably entice more younger players to sign. I'm interested to see how that goes in the draft this year to see if more teams are willing to be aggressive on high school players in that kind of like third through seventh round area. Um, or if the college signings continue with the way they've been trending the last couple of years. I, I am very curious to see how this draft grows from that perspective, because I definitely think the calculus has changed, particularly for the high school guys uh, coming out where they're, 
in that three to six, seven hundred thousand dollar range, it, it definitely does start to move the needle more uh, to where it is. It could potentially be the right move for that player to sign. Yeah, because it, it sounds like with this between housing being covered and a, a living wage being paid, that this bonus can actually serve as a bonus, can serve as a post-career nest egg if you want it, or a you know a house or a place to live or some an investment in some sort of real estate where these guys can now leave baseball even if they didn't make it to the major leagues or or make it you know or you know make it to a second contract or a foreign league where they they've been able to actually increase their their standard of living where you can transition out of baseball and have something to live off while you're figuring that next phase of your life out. And I think that's a that's a huge deal, huge deal for any player really. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I mean, again, it goes back to you're going to be able to save because you don't have the housing expense during the season. Uh, You're going to make some decent money. Uh, And the one thing that a lot of guys run into is, you know, that bonus gets paid out over two years and then you don't have like hardly any income to show for it. So what a lot of guys in, in my world run into that I work with on the planning side financially is they don't have the income. Like even if you're in your three or four of your career, but you're still in the minors, you want to go buy a house. Now you're ready to do that. You made $13,000 last year and nobody's going to give you a loan. So that that's just one acute example of where this could potentially be a total game changer for some of those young guys, uh, you know, as they get a few more years into their careers uh, to where it's going to be a huge net positive for them in those situations. So let's go then to in a scenario that you're extremely familiar with junior year guys who are kind of on the fringe of signing the guys now who are those $125,000 the the after 10 round bonus kind of guys where you went you know you were able to negotiate a higher scholarship to return to Oklahoma state but now what is what is that decision what is getting the the one maybe the 125 as a junior or something a little close to that mean versus now staying for a senior year, potentially netting out with, you know, twenty twenty thousand $20,000 or less, like how big a decision does that now, or does it, does it really change it that much? Yeah. I think there's two, there's two factors to that question because of the NIL rules at the NCAA level now too, um, depending on how good you are, how popular you are and what school you go to, you may be able to make you know, maybe not $125,000, but you may be able to make some decent money and have all your expenses paid for in school. So that's kind of where it really shifted in the advantage of go to school because you had the salaries that were in place previously, plus NIL started coming into into play at the collegiate level. Now I think that pendulum is starting to swing back uh, to probably more in favor again of pro ball where guys are going to want to sign. They say, hey, I can get $100,000 up front. I'm you know, I'm not going to make a ton of money, but I'm going to be able to pay my bills, you know, playing baseball. And I just want to go take my shot at pro ball. So I think, again, it's going to move the pendulum back in favor of pro ball uh, just because there's more resources now at the professional level than there ever has been before, where those resources were all in place at the collegiate level. Now that sort of thing is a little bit more even. And now it just becomes a what is the best move for your career and what's going to give you the best opportunity to play in the major leagues. So the the one guy that I think could be could see a tougher deal with this, obviously that you know is the senior sign, because like we've just said, this makes maybe makes more sense for these talented high school guys to get into pro ball 
for these juniors who are on the fringe deciding it's, you know, it's, it's my turn. I'm going to take this. That reduces options for these, these guys who are the, a lot of times kind of the, the roster filler, the depth senior signs, these, these money savers, and there's less jobs. I'm, I'm kind of, I'm kind of wondering, I mean, will we see just fewer and fewer of these guys? Like if you're not drafted as a junior, if you don't sign after you're a junior, it, it seems like it's going to be slimmer pickings, but if you do get drafted or do get signed as an undrafted free agent, it's a much more viable way of life than like you signed as a senior. There are guys who have signed for a thousand dollars and then are living on, you know, below minimum wage. So it's a win for the guys if they can get in, but it does seem like there will be a reduction in opportunities for that. I mean, again, seniors just seniors just getting screwed. It's kind of the it's kind of the theme of the draft. Yeah, I mean, there's there not everybody can win. Unfortunately, in any situation, there are the trade offs, kind of like you said. So taking the roster cap down is going to impact that. They've already shrunk the draft from forty to twenty rounds. Um, so there are going to they're continuing to kind of squeeze the opportunities and one of the conversations that uh, we had with our or more than baseball team was there's going to be more turnover as well I mean you're looking at probably replacing close to 20 to 25 percent of the the total roster every year between international free agents the draft non-drafted free agents like you're going to see some more turnover so I would expect to probably see your average minor league career shrink especially for those guys that are not the big bonus guys because I mean, it's no secret. If you're a senior sign, you have a contract. So captain first rounder, $3 million bonus has somebody to hit off of. Like that's, that's what you're there for. And if you play well, great, you might get an opportunity, but it is going to make the barrier to entry for those guys a little bit steeper, but there's always going to be a place in the draft for senior signs, especially in the top 10 rounds where teams take a senior sign up for 20 grand in the third round. So they can go spend an extra three or $400,000 on a, you know, maybe an 11th or 12th round pick or overpay somebody, you know, in the first or second round there, there's always going to be a place for that from a cost saving perspective within the draft for organizations, but uh, it will certainly at some point kind of put a cap on the overall number of opportunities that guys are going to get to get, get to have. Yeah. And we didn't, we didn't really touch on the benefits for, um, for players from, from Latin America, but I mean, this is something I, I saw in an article the other day. I mean, pointing out that for there are a lot of Latin players who a lot, most of their paycheck goes home, um, yeah. you know, goes back to help their family. So this is an increase for that. And one thing that I remember when I started this podcast, I was always like, man, if you get, if you get offered good money at a high school, you should go like get into pro ball. Get, and I, and I, I got swung on the pendulum the other way to college, especially for just, how college ball is a little easier of a, of a, of a step into, into life. It's a little more structured. It's a little, it's whereas pro ball was very on your own. Something that benefits, I think the high school signees and the Latin American guys is the, obviously the, the housing, it, it benefits everyone, but I can't imagine being 18, being from the Dominican Republic and having to figure out where I'm going to live in, you know, in somewhere in some small town in Georgia and the transportation, I, I believe that's now a requirement to and from the field for low and high A rosters where a lot of those guys are 20 and under. Some of them maybe have never driven, haven't, don't have a vehicle, something like that. So I think just making minor league baseball 
more like college in the in the structure of it and how it is more of a just just making things easier on these guys outside of baseball so they can focus on baseball like think about when you got to Oklahoma State you had your your dining hall you had your room set up you guys you know it was easy to get to the field because it was on campus and things like that and I think setting up more getting rid of the off the field stresses will lead to a better product. And I don't think we've talked about food at all, but I believe in this, there are some, some provisions for, for better nutrition. Yep. So it is going to be required that clubs provide the reading right off the document requirement that clubs provide full nutritious, high quality meals before and after every game and workout. And there will be a creation of a joint clubhouse nutrition committee. So that having some uniformity across the quality of food, like you said, for younger players, especially, I remember getting to low A and yeah, you, you have a half dozen to a dozen guys first or second year in America from Dominican, Venezuela, you know, Panama, wherever. And, and they don't speak a lot of English. Like they go to Chipotle every day. Cause that's the only place they know how to order from that type of stuff. Like that's going to relieve a ton of stress off of those guys. I mean, it's hard for the American guys. Now if you take not knowing the language, not understanding the culture and being a couple years younger in a lot of cases than your American counterparts, I think for the Latin American support, those are huge, huge wins that uh, I, I think kind of got swept under the rug a little bit with, with all the other big flashy stuff with the money and the, and the benefits. But yeah, even just getting transportation to and from the field in a lot of cases, I mean, that was a struggle. You know, if you don't have your car or you can't afford to ship your car to the affiliate, it can get difficult and you're you're bumming for rides every day and it can be stressful to have, you know, that that dedicated person taking you to and from the field. Just another thing, like you said, to just allow guys to focus on the job at hand and being the best baseball player that they can be. And it seems like, holding up for 120 plus games is going to be easier when you're surviving off, not just PB and J and concession stand chicken figures after the game. 100%. I mean, you know, you expect elite level performance. Let's put some elite level fuel in that Ferrari. You know what I mean? I, I, I think that's a, I think that was a pretty much a no brainer and you see the best teams. I mean, you look at the the teams you've had the most success in the big leagues over the last five years, you go down to their minor league affiliates and see the money that they've invested in player development, nutrition, those different things. It's a direct correlation to the major league level. Um, so I'm glad to see that that that's getting raised across the board. Cause I mean, I think personally, that's a, that was one of the things, even just four or five years ago, when we were talking about like, this is just so easy and what team can't afford $300,000 to feed the, every guy on their organization two times a, a day, you yeah. know, like, I mean, guys, you shouldn't have to hope for a big leaguer to get hurt and come down to rehab for you to eat good. Right. Yeah, man. Hey, those big league spreads on rehab assignments, you lived for those back in the day. Now I'm sure, you know, you're still going to get that, but at least you're going to have like decent food the other 138 games out of the year. Yeah. I mean, and again, you're, you're competing with the Oklahoma States of the world, the Vanderbilts of the world that are feeding their guy and treating their guys like first class. And so if you're wanting to attract some of that talent to skip those colleges, you, they, I mean, again, it's just a no brainer, especially again with um, this isn't even in the, the CBA, but the, the requirements 
of minor league ballparks that are they're increasing you know having a weight room on you know on site and things like because like i've had guys in this show or like yeah i had to get a membership at a gold you know find a gold's gym in my minor league town to work out in and like that's crazy like it just it's it seems like if, if they can just take it, it just seems like they're taking so much stress off the plate of these guys and i think that's just going to lead to a much better product absolutely and one other thing too um you know talking about nil at the ncaa level now minor league players did not have their own NIL rights. The teams owned the rights to their name, image, and likeness. So now guys are going to be able to do some more stuff from a, from a media perspective, um, being able to, to participate in meet paid media, you know, potential TV, things like that. That's another one that just kind of wasn't really talked about a ton uh, before this previous CBA, but even just having the rights to your own likeness now, again, as a professional athlete is a huge component yeah, absolutely. I mean, it it just seems like it's a bunch of wins. Um, where you know, I, I want to get into the the second part, and we'll we'll make it a little briefer because we're kind of bumping on time. Um, but I, another reason I reached out to you is it's early April, and you had kind of referenced it earlier the stress of like when you're about to break camp, figuring out those first first few weeks of of season at a minor league affiliate. And I think they've they've gotten rid of a lot of the big stressors. But can you just can you throw me back to the dark ages of your you know you're heading out to an affiliate and you're like all right Jonathan you're breaking camp in high you're breaking camp in double A what is the what is the checklist how much was on your plate besides just I need to get there and compete against some of the best baseball players in the world oh man yeah that was the t- the last week of spring training man it's just a madhouse you know first of all you're just trying to survive you're like you know you don't want the the farm director to top you on the shoulder because that means you just died you know and then if you survive then it's okay half the time they weren't telling you which affiliate you were even going to until, you know, the last two or three days of camp, like you've been in the same work group or whatever for, you know, you're in the high A work group or the double A work group for three straight weeks. And then a couple guys come back from big league camp. And then all of a sudden you're, a, you're, you're breaking with a lower level. Like that happened to me, my first spring training, high A work group, three straight weeks, get to the end of camp. Hey, you're going to go break with low A okay, I didn't know I was going there. I thought I had this apartment lined up in Florida. Now you're telling me I'm going to Wisconsin and I got three days to find a place to live. So it's, it's, uh, it's a totally different game. Like I was funny. I was texting one of my clients, you know, he's like, Hey, you're going to double a, right? Like you're gonna break with double a. He's like, well, I've been in the double a work group, but they haven't told us anything yet. And this is like two days before camp breaks. I was like, well, at least you don't have to worry about finding an apartment now, but (laughs) it's still a little stressful, but now, now guys are, you know, the housing's already in place. You just get on the plane, show up, and then you get ready to play, which is how it should be. It, that's how it should be. You're, you're there to, to play professional baseball. I'm pretty sure, I don't know if every single major league franchise is valued at over a billion dollars, but a lot of them are. They can afford to put you up in an apartment and get your butt to and from the field every day. I don't think that's a huge ask, and I'm really glad that they were able to get that done. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you, you get to an affiliate. So I'm thinking about your stuff. You're, you're planning on living here. I mean, obviously I'd like to advance, but it, at the very least you're hoping to stay here for six months. How are you, you know, when you, like when you went to Oklahoma state, you probably packed up a car, you had all the stuff, your dorm room, then later like your off campus housing, some cooking stuff, your, you know, a bed, your utilities, like how, what are, you know, what is that like with, with minor league baseball? How are you getting all your stuff there? 
suitcase, baseball bag, a backpack, and a duffel bag. I was I lived out of that for what five years, man. That was it. I uh it was you like you live light, you live off of whatever you get. We always tried to find furnished apartments or housing when we could, but again, that made it more expensive, you know. Like we couple of the apartments that I lived in, you know, we had had I'd never had the same amount of players and bedrooms. It was all there was always more players than bedrooms to save money. And then also just you know, trying to find the furnished apartment. I mean, we would have one year in double A, I think my my rent was like 950 a month and I was making 1700 a month gross. So, you know, after taxes, I think I was netting like 350 bucks a month. <laughs> so, you know, it's just a totally different, totally different calculus now for those guys. Um, but that's, you know, and that's the nice part too, where double A, triple A guaranteed to have your own room. Um, huge piece of that, you know, and then in low A, high A, you're no more than two to a room. So just making the, just the overall living conditions a lot more one safe and two comfortable, uh, for guys. We haven't really talked about the the actual like on field the, the playing of baseball much in this episode, but like you mentioned, you you're working in the high A group all all spring training, and then you ship out with low A. When you guys get there, there's obviously like you know if the first round picks there, like hey that guy's gonna start, he's probably gonna get hit hit high in the order, but. How does everything else get figured out? Like when you're on your way to low A, did you have any idea of what what am I gonna be on this team? Am I gonna be in the rotation? Am I gonna be the swing man? Like how do you, how does all how long does it take for all that stuff to get worked out? Yeah, usually you're gonna have an exit meeting in spring training where they're kind of telling you, hey, we're sending you, this is where you're going, this is where you're gonna slot in, this is kind of the role that we see for you. Um, you know, especially with the Brewers, I'm, you know, I have a lot of respect for that organization. I think they're top class in that regard and they do a really good job with the communication part of that. Um, but yeah, you kind of know what, like, you can kind of look at, all you got to do is go on baseball reference, look at what round they got picked in, you know, where somebody's hitting, you know, you sign, you got a top 10 pick on your roster. That guy's going to play every day, wherever position his primary position is, he plays there, you know, and then everybody else kind of fills in around him. Same thing with pitchers, right? You got a high school pick signed for 2 million. He's going to start. He may only go three innings every start, but he's going to start every fifth day. So you, you can kind of, you kind of already know pretty well what's going to happen, but for the most part, they're kind of communicating with you on your way out with your exit meeting, or as you get to the affiliate with your manager, pitching coach, positional coach, they're going to start kind of helping you build a game plan. Cause that is the coaching aspect in the player development. Like, Hey, we're developing you into this role. This is what we see for you as a potential major league player and how you can help the major league team contribute. So we're going to develop you here in the minor leagues to, to hopefully eventually fill that role. The last thing I really want to ask about the, just the first couple weeks of season and before, um, you know, and, and especially in your time playing, but, but now a lot of these guys, especially at the higher levels have wives, have long-term girlfriends, have kids. What do these Think about you. You said you've never you've never had an apartment where there were more bedrooms than than players. Yep. That is not conducive to having your wife come visit. And so we are we are now both married. That would not that would not be fun. Uh, what what does this now do for guys being able to have a life and see their kids and be pre And if you, it seems like reasonably, especially in the area of remote work, that in in you would need some some things to to 
kind of even out and, and be worked out. But this seems like an a, a way for guys to actually like live with their families during the season. Yes, one hundred percent. So it's gonna. That was the biggest flaw that we and in uh, the housing policy from last year that we got feedback on was guys with families really were kind of left out in the cold. You know, if you were a single dude you know, that was fine. Like, you know, you're in a hotel room, it's okay. But like guys with families, you know, wives, children that travel, like they were kind of out in the cold. And then also with the benefits piece, like being eligible for COBRA, also having 80% of your dependents paid for through COBRA, if you do get released, I mean, it, there's a ton of improvements for guys who are true professionals. You know, they, this is how they provide for their family. I mean, you are a professional athlete, like you are, putting food on your family's table by, you know, throwing or hitting a ball, right? Like that is a huge improvement. I, to be honest with you, I think outside of just the straight pay increase guys with families by far had the biggest W coming out of this CBA because there are quite a few more protections in there and from the benefits side as well, just being able to help shoulder some of the costs of making sure, you know, your, your wife and your child are insured. And even if you get released, you're going to be able to still have coverage, you know, while you're trying to find another job or, you know, figuring out what you're going to do next. So I think that honestly is one of the biggest wins uh, for any demographic of professional baseball players, like the married guys with kids for sure. Yeah. It's crazy that it took this long. It seems like it's a no brainer, but it, it just, it's weird to say this seems just like a ton of wins just all at once. Just, it seems like this is now a functioning real job. Which which is just bizarre considering where you know where we were five six years ago. I want to leave you with this: What's you know labor progress never stops. What are the what are the next steps? What is you know I, I you know it's it took a long time to get this, but what are you know what would be what would make minor league baseball uh, a better job? Yeah, it's a it's great. I remember about five years ago they they call this part time seasonal apprentices, and that's why they uh, that's why they got to pay us what they were paying us. So it's good to shout see out to the uh, Save America's Pastime Act. Yep, exactly. So uh, I am I'm very glad that this is becoming more of a true profession. Um, I think looking out in the future, this is going to run through 2027. No strike, no no lockout clause in there. I think the big thing is going to be the league is going to push for further contraction. Once the CBA is done, I think that's pretty much a done deal that they're going to push to probably cut high a or low a and just go to a double a triple a. I, from everything I've heard, the league has already been pushing for that. They couldn't win that. So they got the 180 to 165. Uh, I would be willing to, to bet that that is, right in the crosshairs of the league once this this cba expires in 2027 so i think from a labor perspective the goal would be to protect as many jobs as possible um, from roster spots there are some cost of living increases with the salaries over the next five years through the cba which is nice so the numbers will continue to ratchet up with inflation um, but I think protecting the number of jobs and opportunities at the professional level has got to be priority number one moving forward for the MIB, MILBPA. Yeah, I mean, I, subject for a whole nother podcast, but it, reducing the number of minor league teams is just bad for baseball on so many different levels from 
fewer, you know, less access for fans nationwide to experience professional baseball versus there are countless stories of guys who, who got a lot of big league time and were productive big leaguers who needed that extra time in short season or needed those lower affiliates to really, to really hit the bell curve that it might've been, you know, it, it might've been a wrap for them if they had to go from the complex to a ball or, or double a or something like that. But, um, you know, glad that glad that's a fight that can wait a few years, but, uh, we'll, we'll have to do it then. Jonathan, that is all I've got for you. Uh, where can the folks follow you? Because uh, your, your social media is a, is a good mix of just general financial advice and then also good, good baseball related finance stuff. Yeah. Twitter, Instagram, J Perrin 46, LinkedIn, Jonathan Perrin, uh, Feel free to follow, reach out, questions, happy to answer them. This is a this has been a, a topic that I've been super passionate about for a long time. I am a very small piece in this puzzle. There have been hundreds and hundreds of amazing men and women that have been working on this project. Um, you know, shout out Harry Moreno, uh, Kyrian Lovegrove, Simon Rosenblum Larson, Slade Heathcott, just to name a few. Like there have been so many wonderful people that have honestly sacrifice their playing careers to be able to make this happen. Um, so I just don't want that to, to be taken lightly. There has been a ton of hard work, dedication and sacrifice that went into getting this win. Um, and there will be a lot more work, dedication and sacrifice to continue to protect these workers rights at the minor league level moving forward. Well, I'm glad the first time you were on, I think we talked about how things could be better. And I think this time was a little bit more of like a celebration on a hill type podcast. So this was great. Appreciate you joining. That's all I've got for you. Thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm again. Appreciate you, Kyle. Always a pleasure. Got it, man. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success.